your word engrafted, which is able to save my soul. Amen. Tell your neighbor, doubt your doubts and believe God. Amen. All right, we're on healing. And it's been a very well-attended Wednesday night uh, series we've done. Uh, A lot of curiosity about healing. There's a lot of stuff out there about it. And uh, my calling is to do my very best to rightly divide the word of truth and teach it not what I want it to say, but what I hear it saying. And as I study, I see it saying. And the fancy theological word is we exegete Scripture. That is, we interpret it uh, by all the interpretive rules, and we know what the Word of God has to say about this. Now, uh, in your healing ministry training, we're at week four, the role of faith in healing, and let's look at what Jesus promises about faith. Well, Jesus had a lot to say about faith, didn't he? Now, let's look what he said. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and you do not doubt, You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, of course he spoke to the fig tree, and the fig tree died. But uh, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will, let's read this last part together, starting with and, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, I always think of what John said when he said, if you pray according to his will, he hears you. So the balance here, of course, is, I mean, there's a lot of people that could ask for a lot of things, some of them crazy, and they can ask in faith, but they're not going to get it. All right? It needs to be according to his will. So how do you know what his will is? You get into his word. That's the best way. The word of God is his divine revelation to us. Uh, it's, it's the lifting of the veil. It's the revealing of mysteries. We would not understand the God of the Bible. We would not understand the way the worlds were made. We would not understand much of anything pertinent and relevant were it not for the Word of God. The Word of God is a window into the other world. We would know about spiritual warfare. We would know about the devil. We would know about angels. We wouldn't know about demons if the Word of God did not lift the veil and, or the curtains over the window and let us see into that incredible world of the Spirit. Now, Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, let's just put parenthetically, according to the will of God, you will receive it. You will receive it. If it's according to the will of God and you ask in faith, you will He didn't say you might, maybe, hope so, perhaps so, on a good day. He said, you will receive it. Now, he said, if you say to it, be taken up and thrown into the sea. Now, I'm trying to flip this back, and it's not working, Tyler. There we go. Uh, Even if you say to this mountain, what do you say to the mountain? Uh, Be taken up and thrown into the sea. It will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Got thank Tyler. I'm going to have to. There we go. Now, faith. How many of you have heard tons of messages about faith? Just tons of them. Okay? Let's look at what Strong's Concordance tells us. Straight out of the Greek, pistis, the Greek word for faith, pistis, meaning firm persuasion. Conviction, belief in the truth, veracity, reality, or faithfulness. And I like the last four words, this simple, that which is believed. Okay, so you've got faith. You believe something. Now, the word doubt is the opposite. Diakrino is the Greek word. It means to be in strife with oneself, to doubt to hesitate, to waver. Are you coming to help me? Everybody give Tyler a great big hand. Is it the switch? I got it now. It's so very simple. Thank you, Tyler. Do you know that he is an attorney? He is an attorney. 
And not only that, he's an assistant district attorney. To me, he looks like a little boy, but that's a compliment. He looks like a kid, a, a kid, but he's an attorney. And he gets back there and runs that thing and as if he didn't have enough to do prosecuting all these people. All right? <clears throat> so, there we go. Now, faith is the opposite, of course, of doubt. Diacrino, to doubt, to hesitate, to waver, to stagger. You, you, you hear something like, God will answer your prayer. And if you have doubt, it makes you stagger. You say, that just can't be. I, I, I doubt that. I have a problem embracing that. And instead of being completely uh, convinced that it's true, there's something happening, you, that, happening inside of you that is like a war going on. You want to believe, but you can't. You've got issues. You've got questions. And my experience with God has always been, and I've had several times in my life where I had, I had serious doubts about something. And when I ask God to clear it up, he always clears it up in the most amazing ways. I'll just be reading a book, not looking for any answers about anything, and boom, there's the answer that I asked for, uh, clarity on, you know, months before. And boom, there it is out of a book that I thought I just decided to pick up. And God answers me. God does not rebuke doubt. That is, if you're an honest doubter, you can take your honest doubts to an answering God and he will answer you. And the Bible says he will not upbraid you for asking him. Okay? So please know that. Please know if you've got doubts about this whole arena of healing, go to God with it. God already knows you're doubting it. And just talk to him about it. See how he does not answer you as time goes on. Now, uh, so doubting is wavering, staggering under something that God wants us to believe, to be in strife within yourself. Now, this is a very broad and open-ended promise that Jesus gave us. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. The promise concerning our ability to exercise faith within a fallen world and receive whatever we ask for is conditioned upon our having faith and not doubting. That's, that's the stipulation. We are challenged by Jesus over and over again to have faith. I, I found nowhere in the New Testament where Jesus ever rebuked somebody for too much faith. When Peter said, should I get out of this boat and walk on the water? He didn't say, no, stupid, stay in the boat. You're not like me. Did he? He said, he said, come. And Peter stepped out of that boat, and we talk about him sinking all the time, but there was a little while there where that man walked on water. And so Jesus did not rebuke even the boldest faith, but what he did rebuke all the time was little faith. And we're going to see that in just a minute. Now, doubt refers to an inward differentiation, an inner debate that would produce hesitation in believing God for something. The man who wanted his child to be delivered admittedly told Jesus, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. I've got faith, Lord, or I wouldn't have come to you, but there's also something inside of me that can't imagine you doing this. <laughs> you ever been there? I mean, I got faith, Lord, I, I, or I wouldn't be talking to you, but, but inside of me, there is a differentiation going on. There is a conflict because I can't fully embrace that you can do what I'm asking you to do. And what I love about that story is Jesus, Jesus did it based on his incomplete, imperfect faith. Jesus honored the faith that he had. And that ought to encourage all of us today. Because I've prayed for a lot of things in my life. There was a little something in me that went, you know, Lord, I believe, but there was a little something that says, eh, you know, I'm not so sure. Please do this. And if you do it, I'm going to give you glory. But wow, what a thing if you did this. What a miracle if you did this. We all experience that, don't we? We are to be a people who are fully persuaded without any inner strife and hesitation. All right? The apostles said to the Lord, 
Let's read this, these next three words together, everybody. Let's make it our prayer. Increase our faith. Can we look up and just say, Lord, increase our faith. They were watching the master and they said, wow, our faith so pales to his. Lord, we're asking you to increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, that's all you would need. You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The disciples here have become aware of their need for increased faith. Everybody in here has that need. But can I tell you what Jesus just told them is you've got all you need to get what you want according to his will. He said, if you've got it, a faith is a grain of mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, almost invisible in the hand. If you've got that much faith, you can move a mountain. So, so you're asking for more. I'm telling you, you've already got more than you realize. It's not faith's size that makes it great or little, but it's faith's focus, which is Jesus Christ. One of my favorite passages, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the song we sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will turn strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Faith has a focus, and the focus is not your faith. We are not to, as the old song said, and this is going to date me, but I just stepped in to see what condition my condition was in. Now, there's faith people who are always looking at their faith. How strong is my faith? How weak is my faith? How stable is my faith? But get your eyes off your faith and get your eyes on the focus of your faith. Because faith operates best when you're not being introspective about it, but you're looking unto Jesus, the author, the one who gave you your faith, and the finisher, the one who's going to mature your faith. That's who you're focused on. That's when miracles happen, when you, when you quit being self-conscious and become Christ-conscious. It's not faith's sincerity or fervency that determines its effectiveness. You know, you can strain and jump and scream and yell. That doesn't make faith stronger. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, I can tell. I, I've been in prayer meetings where it was a scream session. Who could scream the loudest and, and twirl the, the, the highest and, and jump through the most hoops? And who could make the most noise? And I realized that sometimes it's the quietest prayer in the world that moves a mountain. It is not volume. It is focus. It's the strength of the one that you're believing, not the one believing. Did you catch that? It's not our faith, it's not our strength, but it's the strength of the one we're believing in, not the one that is us who are believing that determines faith's strength. If I'm not fully persuaded and observe inner strife or hesitation, this indicates my need for a deeper revelation of Christ. Please catch that. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What increases faith? Hearing the Word of God. What are you hearing when you hear the Word of God? Truth. And the more Word you saturate your mind and your heart and your spirit in, the more your faith is going to grow. If your faith is limping and weak and shaky, if you will allow me to make a, a diagnosis, I can tell you what did it. You're not in the Word enough. Seven days without the word makes one weak. Some of you are going to get that on the way home. But it's true. See, you've got to be in the word. I'm in that word every day. I, I go to the word before I eat anything uh, physical, like cereal. I'm a cereal nut. I, I love it. I, I'm fruit and cereal. If, if they ever wanted to get me during a persecution, take away the fruit and cereal from me. And I'm going to break down. I'm just kidding. I... I love it, but I get into the Word before I do that. I, I immediately get into the Word because I'm going to feed my inner man before I feed the outer man. That's just my little deal. No Bible, no breakfast. You don't have to do that. 
It wouldn't hurt you if you did. All right, now, let's look at the right focus of faith. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Now, this is a great passage in John. Let's, uh, let me just read it. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Did you catch that? How do you abide? You abide by prayer and by being in his word and staying in fellowship. If you get out of those three, you're going to start wilting and you're going to start spiritually dying. It's a guarantee. You put that word down. It's not if you drift, it's when you drift. You get away from that word, you're going to drift. You get away from prayer, you're going to drift. Get out of church, you're going to drift some. You're not going to do as well. It's just a fact. So abiding in the vine, whoever abides in me and I in him, by those touch points, prayer, fellowship, and the word, whoever abides in me, he it is that's going to bear fruit, guaranteed. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words, what do he say? My words, my words abide in you. You will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done. Why is the person who is abiding in his word getting their prayers answered? Because they have strong faith. It's so simple. There it is. If you abide in me by the touch points, fellowship, prayer, and the word, you're the one who's going to ask and get prayers answered because your faith is going to be pulsating with life because it's being made strong and kept strong by the word. I'll tell you, Christian friend, you can do without a lot of things, but you can't do without the word. You can't. Try it. It won't work. By this... When you get your prayers answered, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. The disciple is the person who daily follows him through the touch points of the word, fellowship, and prayer. And of course, obedience to those. Now, fruitfulness in our lives is what glorifies the Father. Fruitfulness in our lives is proof that we are Christ's followers. If you have more love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith than you had last year, you should. Because last year, you weren't where you are today. And next year, you're going to be further along than you are right now. We are growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So fruitfulness proves that we're following him on a daily basis. Fruitfulness is equated with answered prayer. Isn't that great? If I'm being fruitful, I'm getting prayers answered. Answered prayer flows out of a Jesus focus. Looking on a Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now it is through a Jesus focus that our faith is at its best. He is our focus in the place of prayer. We are not to focus on the size of our own faith but on the size of the focus of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's a mighty big savior. By his word, the worlds are being held together. I'm totally convinced of that. That's several times in the New Testament. By his word, I told you I've been meditating lately. Well, I actually just finished going through the book of Revelations again in the morning with a commentary. I went through the whole book of Revelations again, and you talk about God being in charge of history. You talk, about, you talk about who wins in the end. You talk about realizing that the devil is a dog on a leash. You, you talk about Antichrist thinks he's getting away with things all the time, but he is only given as much slack as God allows him to have. And at the end, every evil, wicked doer is defeated. And the Lord is going to stand at the end of history, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, conquering Savior, and he's going to rule this world with a scepter of righteousness. And that's a fact. He's a great big Christ. Believe me. He came as the Lamb of God. He's coming back as the Lion of God. Now, Jesus said, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Here's another one. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Are y'all catching this now? Jesus responds to faith. 
Look what happened. Behold, a woman who has suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. Think about 12 years sick. And she lost all of her money to doctors. Came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I touch his garment, I will be made well. That was her faith talking. If only I touch his garment, I need a point of contact. That's all that I need. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, something is going to happen to me. Her faith had been ignited. She had been a doctor after doctor, lost her whole living. She was ostracized from society. We don't find her with a friend in the world when this happens. But she hears about Jesus, and when she hears about Jesus, her faith is ignited, and her faith talks to her. And her faith said, you don't even have to get to him. He doesn't even have to see you. He doesn't have to touch you with his hand. If you can just grab hold of something connected to him, just connected to him. She said, that's all, I, that's all it's going to take for me. And the Bible says that Jesus turned around and seeing her said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, everybody say instantly. Now, now that's a miracle when it's instant. Instantly, the woman was made well. Can you imagine that? After 12 years of being oppressed, 12 years of being depressed, 12 years of losing all your money, 12 years of being sick, ostracized, rejected, pushed out by the culture, no friends, no future, your hope is waning. And in a moment's time, in an instant, you're healed. Don't you know she did a little jig on the way she left Jesus? I think she did a little jig. I think she danced a little jig. Jesus said to blind Bartimaeus, here's another one. What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Read the next part with me, everybody. Your faith has made you well. Jesus noticed faith. And immediately, there it is again, instantly, immediately, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. And again, here comes a leper, a terminal disease, who returned to give Jesus thanks. Jesus said, rise and go your way. Read it again, everybody. Your faith has made you well. Now let's remember, it was who the faith was in that made him well. But the fact that he had faith toward God, faith toward Christ, he was healed. And Jesus always attributed it to faith. Mark 2, here's another one. Then they came, I love this story, because this is four brothers who want their buddy healed. And he's paralyzed. He was, from my understanding, he's quadriplegic. He can't move. He's on a stretcher. They came to Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they said, we're going to get to him anyway. And they went up on top of the roof. I love this. These guys were determined. And, and once again, Jesus doesn't rebuke crazy, risky, bold faith. Because they go up on the roof and they start cutting. And here's Jesus in the house teaching like this you know, a group like this, and he's in the house, and he's teaching away. All of a sudden, there's a noise, and a saw pokes through the roof, and then there's a great big square, and then, then in front of everybody, they lower. Now, now, some preachers would say, you're interrupting me, man. I'm in the middle of something. Jesus, this man is lowered, and and eight eyeballs up there looking down. <laughs> oh, golly. And, and the man on the stretcher, you talk about being put on the spot. He's just laying there. You know, what's he going to do? Well, what did Jesus do? They lowered him right in front of him. So when they had broken through, I love that phrase, they, may, they had a breakthrough. When they had broken through, they had a breakthrough. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus said, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately, there's the word again. 
he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Don't you know, those five, those five did not walk out going, well, praise the Lord. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. They went jumping and leaping and praising God. You know they did. You know they did. You better believe they never saw anything like this. Now, in this case, it wasn't even the faith of the one in need of forgiveness and healing. Jesus responded to the faith of the paralytic's friends. What a perfect picture of carrying your friend when he can't carry himself. What a perfect picture. And your faith can be active and operative in helping somebody without faith stand and receive. Now, last time we saw that the church is to offer the prayer of faith for the sick. James 5, 14 to 16 says, is anyone among you sick? He's talking to church folks. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, read the next part with me. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James insinuating by the Holy Ghost that sometimes sin makes you sick. So if sin was involved, he'll experience forgiveness when he goes to Christ with it. But here's now, we're, we're, we're past the Gospels, we're in New Testament living, we're in church life, and James instructs church leaders to pray for sick people. Now I've told you that there is there is a belief system that weaved its way into the church a long time ago. It came from many areas. One of the areas I described to you, explained to you being the Enlightenment, the Age of Reason, the 18th century Age of Enlightenment when men decided we're no longer going to have faith in God that cannot be substantiated by the eye, the ear, what you taste, what you touch, what you smell. In other words, if the five senses can't discern it, it's not real. That X'd out the belief in the supernatural. It matters what you believe. We live in a world of belief systems. Every walking, talking human being out there is a philosopher and don't know it because they have come to conclusions about life, God, people, the supernatural, heaven, hell. They, 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 they've come to a conclusion, wrong or right. One of the things that got into the church was this whole notion of cessationism. Cessationism teaches that when the last apostle died, miracles ceased. Cessationism. Miracles ceased. And it was only needed to launch the birth of the church. Now, there's many problems with that. We just read one of them because James is giving a command to the church and he doesn't stipulate saying, oh, and by the way, this is only good until John dies. Did he say that? He didn't say this is only good until John dies. He said, if somebody is sick, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray the prayer of faith. And I want you to ask God to heal them. Anoint them with oil. Nothing magical in the oil. It's, it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it's simply obedience to anoint with oil. You can come to me sick, I'll anoint you with enough oil to slide you into the next room. I believe God to heal you. I just like to make sure y'all are awake. I know you're awake. Now, James takes into account that the person's sickness may be the result of sin, as we mentioned. Now, Vincent's word studies says this, quote, the Greek gives a shade of meaning which can hardly be transferred neatly into English, representing not merely the fact that the man has sinned, but his condition as a sinner. 
Literally, the words read, if he be having committed sins, that's straight out of Greek, if he be having committed sins, in a state of having committed and under the moral or physical consequences of transgression, they will be forgiven him. Hence, we see the Bible pressing home the need to counsel the sick. Y'all catch this, you future prayers over the sick, you future hospital visitors, you future healing room folks. Catch this now. We see the need to counsel the sick as to whether there's any unconfessed sin that may be contributing to their condition. Unforgiveness, bitterness, unresolved anger issues. Bitterness will, will, will make you sick as a dog. Bitterness will open the door to hell for you. Bitterness will rob you of your blessing, rob you of your walk with God, cause you to live in the past, and rob you of your future. Bitterness. And it, it, it is a contributor to sickness often. So to, to overlook that, you, you can anoint them with enough oil to slide them into the next room every single day for a year, and they're not going to get healed because they're bitter, and they need to be healed on the inside. Okay? before they need, are looking on the outside to get healed. Now, the prayer for the sick is offered in faith. Must be understood as such promises are everywhere with this restriction, that they will be restored to health if it shall be the will of God, if he shall deem it for the best. Now, I hear some of you right now going, wait a minute, I like this until right then. Because isn't it God's will to heal everybody? That's a great question. I want to bring to your mind Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. We love the first part. It talks about all the miracles. Women who, who had their dead received back to life and mountains that were moved and deliverances that came and quenching the fire and all the, the good and powerful things that happened for people of faith in the first half of Hebrews 11. But what about the second half? It says, it begins with, and others. This isn't up there. You may want to just write this down. Hebrews eleven thirty six, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, cut in half. That was Isaiah. They were tempted. They were slain with a sword. That was James. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute afflicted, tormented, people of faith. You notice there's not a whole lot of amens right now? Well, get back to the first half, Pastor Jeff. The miracles and, hey, I've got to teach the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now watch this. Watch this now. They were destitute afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered around in deserts, mountains, and dens, and caves of the earth. What was wrong with their confession? How in the world, what was wrong with their faith that they let this happen to them? Well, watch this. The world was not worthy of them. And verse 39 says, they all, these all, who had all these negative things happen to them, obtained a good report of their faith. That's what it says. The ones that had miracles and breakthroughs in their life and the ones who died, it goes on to say, died in faith, not having received the promise. Wait a minute. Is there a contradiction here? No, there's not. Sometimes a person is healed. Other times, and I don't know why, they're not. When they're not, it is not necessarily at all a reflection against their faith. I'm against that. If you want to torture somebody in the hospital who has prayed and they haven't been healed, you go to them and say, well, it's because of your faith you haven't been healed. Don't do it around me. I'll whoop you all the way back down to the street. So what are you doing? You're adding double to their pain. You're adding condemnation to their agony. You are adding guilt. You are making them feel that. Listen, be careful what you tell people about stuff like that. 
Because we've got a whole record here in Hebrews 11 of people who were destitute, lived in caves. It says they were tormented, afflicted. I'm not saying that, you know, go be tormented and afflicted and that makes you spiritual. I'm just saying they, were, they died in faith just like the ones who had their breakthroughs. Not having received the promise. We got to balance this thing out, folks. Some of you have prayed for something for years and it hasn't happened. Does that mean there's something wrong with your faith? And if you can just get your faith right, then you'll get what you should have gotten years ago? There's a mystery to it. I'm the first to admit it. There's a mystery to it. Catherine Kuhlman used to say, who I believe had the most legitimate healing ministry of the 20th century, she used to say on stage, I heard her over and over again in person, she would cry because she would have this whole bunch of people down front that were healed, but way more out there that hadn't gotten healed that day. She would say, my first question when I get to heaven is going to be, why weren't they all healed? Precious Jesus, she would say. She couldn't understand it. She didn't know. Did that stop her from praying for the sick and seeing people healed? No. But we've got to get the balance here. The word of God in Hebrews 11 is giving us a fact of life. Sometimes by faith you see the breakthrough you're asking for and other times your faith carries you through the valley. You're not whisked out of the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we want to be taken out of it by helicopter. <laughs> Lord, send a whirly bird and get me out of this valley. I'm stuck. And what does God say? I've given you the faith to walk through the valley. You're going to learn about me. You're going to learn about my word. You're going to learn about life. I'm going to change you. I'm going to rearrange you. If we don't understand this, then we're going to go putting guilt on people when we pray for them that we should not put on them ever. Are y'all with me? Okay. I wish God would take us out of every problem. I wish when it got really hot in that oven, he would just come and take me out. But no, more times than not, he chooses to let your faith walk you through it. But boy, I've seen people heal too, many times. The design is to encourage them to the use of these means with a strong hope that it would be effectual. He's, he's talking about praying for the sick. But it cannot be taken in the absolute and unconditional sense. Let's read this. For then, if these means were used, the sick person would always recover, no matter how often he might be sick. And he need never die. In other words, when are you going to let somebody die? Lazarus had two funerals. <laughs> All right? He was raised from the dead by Jesus. Wow! But someday he died again. Okay? Everybody's going to go sometime unless the rapture comes. Say, well, well, then they shouldn't go till they're 90. How do you know that? Are you God? You don't know that. How do you know? When God's time comes, God's time comes. Now, if he chooses to intervene and do a miracle and heal somebody, and he does, praise God. But if their time comes, don't send them into glory with condemnation and guilt. Should God answer with a miraculous healing? The Lord shall raise him up. Amen. Now, unbelief and littleness of faith, we're moving along here. But Jesus said to them, everybody happy tonight? Are y'all good? Everybody get that? Jesus said to them, those of his hometown, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of what, everybody? Wow. These people had years of experiencing Jesus not doing miracles, so they could not expect him to do them. They were too used to him not doing them. How often does a deficient past, as it relates to miracles, stand in the way of what we could receive? 
Jesus never rebuked faith, but he did rebuke little faith, doubt, or unbelief. Jesus said in Matthew 6 about worry, those that worry, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? What everyone? Oh, you of little faith. Quit worrying about what you're going to eat, drink, and wear. God's going to get it to you. It may not be our money, but it'll look good. In this case, littleness of faith is equated with anxiety regarding God's faithfulness in the area of provision. I promise you, if you've got a need and you're a child of God, God's going to get it to you. When Peter began sinking under the waves, we're told that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, read it with me, everyone, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Say with me, he's not going to let me sink. He didn't let Peter sink. He let him get about so far down, then he grabbed him. He said, why did you doubt? You were walking on water. You were doing great. Why did you start sinking? Well, in this case, littleness of faith is equated with having more awareness of natural circumstances than Jesus' presence and power. You're focused on your mess and not on the fixer. Okay? Now, here's another one. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, well, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not re yeah, remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? They had already had a similar miracle and they forgot it. They'd already seen him provide and now they have forgotten it. In this passage, Jesus links little faith with do you not yet perceive and failing to understand. In this sense, Jesus wasn't correcting a lack in their trust, but a lack in their grasp of truth. It matters what you know. It matters what you understand. It matters what you believe about God. Jesus celebrated great faith he said to the centurion, read this with me, everybody. Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So he talked about little faith and he talked about great faith. But he was always focused on faith. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Why? Because he had great faith. And to the Canaanite woman with a demon-possessed daughter... Jesus said, read it with me, oh woman, great. Is, how would you like Jesus to come up to you and say, oh Jesse, great is your faith. I could sail for 50 years on that. Amen? Oh Jane, little as you are, great is your faith. Jane has to, <laughs> she doesn't mind me saying that. She's 90. Are you 90 now? Huh? 87, you're almost there. She's little, but she has great faith. Wouldn't it be bless you for Jesus to say that about you? And wouldn't it just kind of knock you silly if he said, oh, you of little faith. Why are you doubting me? Her daughter was healed instantly. The centurion perceived that Jesus' power for healing was an expression of Jesus' kingdom authority. Now, the Canaanite women perceived that though Jesus' direct earthly ministry was to the Jews, it was ultimately for the blessing of all the nations of the earth. In both cases, what made their faith great was what they understood about Jesus. Now, let's talk about seeing through that lens of faith again as we come to the close tonight. Now, read this with me, the all-time verse on faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now read the next one. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I walk by faith, not by sight. We, we as believers 
walk by faith. We don't walk by what we see, hear, taste, touch, smell. Unbelievers do. They're always worried about what am I going to eat, drink, and wear. That's all they worry about. Jesus told us that. But when you get saved, you get delivered from that bondage of only thinking about what you're going to eat, drink, and wear, and you get taken into a whole new vista where now you're walking by faith, not by what you see, which flies right in the face of enlightenment thinking. Now, here's another one. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Isn't that great? So if I make up my mind to seek God, I guarantee you he's going to reward me. Over and over again, faith is contrasted with natural sight or natural understanding. Faith is prevented as a way of perceiving reality that we cannot perceive through our natural senses or reason. Okay? That we perceive by faith is not incompatible with reason. But it's beyond what reason is able to perceive. That's a great statement right there. Okay? Faith gives you the ability to operate in the fourth dimension. And until you have faith, you're stuck in three dimensions. When you get faith, you are launched into the realm of the supernatural. There is a God, He's in charge of the universe, history is His story. He's in charge of you. He has all power. He's everywhere at once. And he knows everything. And that God is on your side. That God is pulling for you. That God is working in you every day. That God is strengthening you. He is forming you and shaping you into the very image of Christ. And nothing can separate you from his love. Not death, not life, not principalities, not powers, not things present, not things to come. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's another dimension. When we view reason and natural sensory data alone as our source of reality, then that which can only be perceived by faith will seem foolish. Not because it is foolish, but because no other capacity for perception is recognized as valid. Now, next time we're going to talk about Abraham's faith. It is something else. Well, let's go a little bit longer. Speaking of Abraham, Paul writes of his incredible faith. I want you all to get this tonight. God said to Abraham, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. Read this last part with me. He calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, that's talking about sexually dead. He was not in an age where you're out having kids and building a family. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's, Sarah's womb. She was 90. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what the Lord had promised. Now say with me, Abraham heard God. And then Abraham experienced God's presence. Abraham perceived that God gives life to the dead. And then Abraham perceived that God calls into existence things that aren't there yet. Only God can do that. Abraham stood firmly within the tension between natural perception against hope and revelation in hope. And without denying the inferior reality, he didn't pull Christian science and say it's not there. Are you all there? He didn't say it's not there. He said, I acknowledge that it's there. But there's a greater reality 
that because I have faith, I see it. There is a superior reality. And that is my God can cause us, help us to have a child when we're both dead. Abraham won the battle against unbelief. No distrust made him waver. Abraham grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God and was fully convinced in God's ability and faithfulness. Let's stand together, can we? If you'll read this summary with me, faith is important in healing. And we need to grow in faith. Little faith is about a lack in understanding truth more than a lack of trust. Doubt is inner debate and hesitation arising from a lack of understanding. Faith is a result of revelation that persuades, silencing the inner debate. The key is to focus upon Jesus, not upon trying to have more faith. We don't blame others for a lack of faith, but seek to broaden their understanding of truth. Amen. That's good stuff. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are broadening our, our understanding and increasing our truth, our knowledge of truth. And we're growing in knowledge of your word. We thank you for it. Lord, thank you that faith is growing in this room and by radio. It's growing, Lord, because we're watering the seed. Thank you, Lord, that we're going to see breakthroughs, miracles of healing, miraculous answers to prayer. And thank you also, Lord, that when that doesn't come, there's going to be miraculous sustaining and keeping and strengthening as we walk through that valley to the other side. Either way, Lord, thank you for strengthening our faith. Can you lift your hands to the Lord now? To say, Lord, increase my faith. Make me a minister of faith to people. Thank you for those I don't yet know and haven't yet encountered who you're going to allow me to touch through Jesus Christ unto great fruitfulness. Thank you for working in my life. In Jesus' name. Jesus.